Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. Well, welcome to the third Sunday in Advent. Today we're looking at the fruit of hope. Um, last week we looked at um, the the road to hope, and uh, so ca- kind of carrying on, um, uh, yeah, just on the on the theme of hope. Uh, so last week we talked about hope and and how Scripture uses it in a variety of different ways, and, and we discovered that there was uh, there's really almost I think alignment would maybe be the best word or, or, or parallel uh, between our spiritual journey and all the different ways that Scripture uses hope. I mean, up until last week, I, ne- I personally never realized all the different ways that hope is utilized in Scripture. And uh, so very broadly speaking, our spiritual journey kind of has three parts or three phases, right? There, there's the moment of conversion, right? And theologians would call this justification, and it's the moment where we become uh, saved. So Colossians 1.13 would describe it that we shift from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and that's a, a distinct moment in time. But after we are saved, then there's this, this, you know, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, and we're a new creation, and we spend the rest of our lives learning how to obey Jesus and love Jesus and how to better love those around us. And that process really lasts up until our death, and that process, theologians, would call it sanctification. And we would just call it just learning how to be a good person, right? But they would call it sanctification. And then there's this moment where we will die and we enter heaven into all eternity and we're finally free from the bondage of sin. And then so we have this this moment of glorification, right? So we've got a moment, a process, and then a moment. And what was fascinating last week is how God through Scripture has associated hope very distinctly with all three of those. I mean, he has literally infused every part of your spiritual journey with hope. Um, we also, there was also a warning. Ephesians 2.12 tells us that until we experience that moment of salvation, then we live a life without hope. So um, today I want to look, though, at the fruit of hope. Um, Luke 6.43, this is Jesus talking, and he says this. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Uh, and then he gives some specifics. Uh, figs are not gathered from a thorn bush. Grapes are not picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasures of his heart, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Matthew records a similar thing from Jesus um, here uh, in Matthew twelve thirty three, Jesus says, Either make the, the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Uh, again, for the tree is known by its fruit. And then he's talking to the Pharisees, and, and he gets pretty blunt with them. He says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth fruit. So here's the thing, though. 
It, when you, so, I mean, Jesus keeps using this tree and this fruit analogy, and it actually uh, appears um, quite a bit in Scripture. But, but here's kind of what, what I finally realized, is that when it comes to the maturity of your faith, there's no mysteries. Like, everybody knows. I mean, like, we might not talk about it, but, but really, I mean, if we look at this, when it comes to the maturity of your faith, those around you that, that work with you and know you well, yeah, they, like, they know. There, there's no, like, secret super spiritual, okay, like, that doesn't happen. Where, wherever you're at, in the maturity of your faith, it is well known by those around you. There are no mysteries. Your actions, your behaviors, your words, your habits, your passions, they reveal something about you. And if people hang out with you a lot, they will know and understand the maturity of your faith. Uh, the, the whole tree, branch, vine, fruit analogy, it's seen multi- multiple times in Scripture. Uh, it works great. Uh, it also works both ways. Um, fruit of the Spirit. Common verse, we like that one, Galatians 5.22. You know, we memorize this, you know, it gets crocheted onto things, you know, very popular. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, whole good long list. Right before that, there's another list that never gets memorized and never gets crocheted, um, and it's the works of the flesh. And it's a pretty graphic list. Like, I'm not going to share the list because I don't want to explain the words to my children. I'm like, not till you're 22, okay? Um, but it's the same thing, the fruit. I once heard a sermon title, a great sermon title, uh, If Christianity Were a Crime, Would There Be Enough Evidence to Prosecute You? That's pretty good. But upon reflecting upon this verse, I would have to conclude that actually, if Christianity were a crime, then those mature in their faith would be prosecuted because Scripture tells us that our faith is known. We are known by, um, by, by our works, by our fruit. Scripture, uh, so last week, you know, we talked about how Scripture associates hope with kind of every part of our, our spiritual journey, the, you know, the, the, the moment of justification and salvation, the, the process of sanctification, the, the moment of glorification. Uh, what's also interesting is that Scripture actually associates, we also see that hope, hope itself produces fruit in the life of a believer. And actually, when you go through the list, there's almost a dozen different things that get named specifically as being the fruit of hope. Uh, joy, courage, patience, purity, uh, watchfulness, uh, peace or tranquility, readiness, um, all kinds of great stuff. We don't have time to, to cover all of them, but there are a few that I want to highlight. And as we go through this, these are, I share these with you really just to be almost like a measuring tool for you to do a little bit of self-reflection uh, and ask, like, how is hope in my life? Do I have hope in my life? If you are very brave, you can ask others about you. Um, that's always a gutsy thing to do. Um, I would encourage you to do it at, at some point in time. Um, but ask people you trust, do you see these traits in my life? And then, you know, actually listen to what they tell you. Uh, first one, Romans 12, verse 9. Uh, Paul is giving marks of a, of a true Christian, or that's, that's the heading in most Bibles. Um, and, and he lists all kinds of great stuff. He says, let love be genuine, uh, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, uh, love one another with brotherly affection, show honor to one another. 
And then in verse 12, he says this, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, but rejoice in hope. You know, you, you could rephrase it like this. Let your joy be joy that, that comes from hope. Or, or bear fruit of joy on, on the branch of hope. Be, be glad because of your hope. But there's this, this established relationship between hope and between joy. And it's, the hope is kind of the branch and, and joy is the fruit. Uh, to understand Christian joy, I think it's almost most helpful to begin with what Christian joy is not. And I would simply tell you that, that Christian joy is not natural. I would start with that. Christian joy is not natural. It is something spiritual. It's a byproduct of hope. It's a byproduct of, of knowledge, of understanding Jesus, what he's done for us, understanding scripture. It's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit working our lives, a byproduct of engagement in Christian community, sometimes of good biblical counseling. But, it, but it's not a natural thing. And it's not something where you just sort of, you know, it doesn't come from self-will. You just don't decide, you know, today I'm going to be joyful and I'm just going to self-will my, my way through this. It doesn't work like that. You're welcome to try. Good luck. But um, it doesn't work like that. Joy does not come from the externals, like vacations or time away or new toys. It comes from the spiritual. Secondly, be, because joy is spiritual and not natural, it, it's also quite firm. It's not superficial or flimsy. It's remarkably resilient. Uh, and that's why we would distinguish it from happiness or pleasure. I, if it, scripture actually has the audacity to tell us that we can experience horrible grief and suffering and still experience joy. I, it, at, there are certain times in my life where I think I would actually find that insulting and, and rude. <laughs> and yet scripture says it. Romans 5-3, we rejoice in our suffering. 1 Thessalonians, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. Again, in, in 2 Corinthians, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. In some ways, though, it, it does kind of make sense. Um, when things are hard, when life is miserable and painful and awful, if, if we have hope, it's like this lifeline to this, this place on, on the horizon where, where things are good again. And so, so hope on the horizon brings us joy. A caveat on joy. I think, in, I think it's gotten better. Uh, but just in, in listening to others and, and kind of reflecting on my own experience... I think in the Christian community, we have struggled a bit with how to handle things like depression or, or anxiety or various mental illnesses while still embracing this concept of joy and what that looks like. Um, I would say that clinical depression, that's a real thing. Uh, it does not mean that you are a bad Christian. And maybe you just need to write that one down and you're good for the day. <laughs> clinical depression does not mean that you are a bad Christian. If you struggle from depression, anxiety, any kind of mental trauma or mental illness, okay, there is no shame in getting help. I would encourage you to get help, professional help, see someone. It may involve counseling, may involve medication, 
may involve good Christian community. But it does happen, and you're not a bad person or a bad Christian if it does. I have known and worked with a lot of marvelous Christian people who part of their struggle in life involve depression or anxiety or some other kind of uh, um, uh, mental illness. So while I would say that joy is evidence for hope in your life, I would also say that there, there is a consideration that, that needs to be given to, to various struggles like that. First fruit of hope that I would highlight is joy. Second fruit that I would highlight for you this morning is boldness. Um, but this is not... This is not boldness in how talkative you are or how assertive you are. This is how you interact with God. Like, if you're, if you're true to the text, the context is really how you interact with God, not how you interact with others. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.4, um, it starts off with this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other verses that, that I'll summarize here in a minute. And then verse 12, he says this, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, right? So, so that's the key phrase, since we have such hope, we are very bold. Now, I, I skipped over it, but in this chapter, Paul uses a story from the Old Testament to illustrate the boldness that we have in coming to God. And it, it's not, he's actually not speaking about boldness and speaking to other people or, or really even in evangelism. I, I mean, I think there's some overlap and uh, be, between the two, some connection. Uh, but to be fair to the text, I mean, he, he's immediately speaking about how we approach God. A little bit of background on this, because that is helpful. Old Testament. Old Testament, you did not just walk up to God and start rambling. Okay? Um, it, it's, it's such a peculiar thing to say. But in, in some ways, God was hard to access in, in the Old Testament. And, and let me explain by that. Um, Hebrews 9 actually gives a great explanation of, of Old Testament uh, temple practices and how they worked. So the temple was where you met God and where you did business with God, which was mainly, you know, you, you bring in the animal sacrifices for your sins and the sins of your family and that kind of thing. Okay? General population was allowed to mingle outside the temple. Then you go through a gate. That's the outer court, and that's where all Jewish people could go. And then you go through another gate, and that was the inner court, and that's where Jewish men could go. And then you enter the building, and then there's a hallway, and that's where the Jewish priests could go. But then after that, there was another room hidden behind a curtain called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest, only once a year, only if he had gone through a whole bunch of ceremonial cleansing stuff, only then could he enter for a short period of time once a year. Like, that's where God was. And even at that, just to be sure, they tied a rope around his ankle in case he did something wrong and keeled over dead because he wasn't, like, he skipped a step in the ceremonial cleansing. And that way they could drag his body out without having to just, like, let him rot in there all year long. That's how you access God. And then Jesus dies on the cross. And that curtain that separated that room is torn in half from top to bottom. And in that moment, the entire temple sacrificial system is rendered obsolete because of what Jesus does on the cross. So when Paul is... And so, like, that's the context that people are coming out of. So when Paul is writing and talking about boldness and coming before God, 
this wasn't a flippant thing. This was this was completely revolutionary. This was this was crazy man talk. And he's having to convince them of their boldness and their access to come before the Lord. So we have boldness when we come before God. It doesn't mean that we get to be disrespectful. It doesn't mean that we get to be flippant. It doesn't mean that we get to be arrogant. It doesn't mean that we're on autopilot. But it does mean that, that we come with confidence and comfort and freedom and respect and full honesty. There was, um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this. There, there were a couple times, uh, like early on in Trek training, where it'd be like, would someone pray for lunch? And then have you ever seen this where there's like a game where it's like thumbs up or like hand on the nose, like I don't want like, and then last person to do it has to pray. Have you ever seen these games? Okay. I saw that happen once or twice, and then I reamed them out. Uh, and then after that, I just started preemptively reaming out trekkers uh, before they even had a chance to do that. Be- How epically disrespectful that you have access to God, and when someone says, who wants to pray, you do stupid nose games to be like, I'm not it. I mean, never mind that he's in the room witnessing the whole thing with you. Like, would you ever do that to a person? Hey, I need a volunteer to go talk to that person. Not it. And, and yet, without thinking, we, we play these dumb little games when, when it comes to prayer. And it's just, when you think about it, it's one of the most disrespectful, rude, insulting ways that you can approach God. So I just, before they even had a chance to do it, I just preemptively chewed him out uh, and said, we don't do that. There's a story from the, the Civil War. I hope it's true. Um, a Union soldier found out that uh, his brothers had died, and so he wanted out of the army to go back and help his family on the farm. But back then, the only way that one could get uh, exemption from military service was directly from the president. So the soldier walks for miles and days. He comes to the White House, but try as he might, he could not actually get into the White House to plead his case before President Lincoln. Um, so he is sitting on the park bench, he is dejected, he is depressed, and this young boy comes up and says, why are you so sad? And for whatever reason, the soldier just kind of pours out his story. And the young boy grabs him by the hand and says, follow me. And then he proceeds to hustle straight past the White House, straight to the White House, straight past the front gate, through security, past the, the governors and the generals in the hallways and such, bursts into the president's office, interrupts a meeting, and says, Dad, this man has something important he needs to tell you. Because that boy was Tad Lincoln, Lincoln's son. And so he had full access. That is what it means to have boldness in coming before God. Let me also share this. That boldness is the opposite of shame. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction, but the Holy Spirit will not bring shame. Conviction says, you know what, I've done something wrong, I need to make it right. Shame says, I've done something wrong, I need to go hide. Holy Spirit doesn't bring shame. Holy Spirit brings conviction because the Holy Spirit calls us to make it right. Shame is from the enemy. And actually, if there's actually fascinating literature out there on how cultures tend to gravitate towards either a guilt-based culture, a shame-based culture, or a fear-based culture. So if you're bored and you want to read some anthropology or whatnot, look that one up. Very helpful in missions, actually. The hope we have in Jesus means that we are bold. 
And when we do something wrong, we experience guilt and a desire to correct the situation. But we don't experience shame. The extent to which you are bold in coming before God, the the extent to which you experience, understand conviction and not shame, that will inform the rest of us on how much hope you have in your life. Boldness is a fruit of hope. We should be able to eavesdrop on your prayers and get a feel for your sense of hope. Fruits of hope. Joy, boldness, and love. That would be the last one I would share with you this morning. Colossians 1, 3-4. Paul in his intro. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard, that's a key part of this, since we have heard of your faith in Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of this hope in heaven, they're showing love to other saints. They're showing faith in Jesus Christ. And it is so strong, it is so prevalent that Paul and his other Uh, companions have heard about it not on facebook i mean i mean it was strong enough that it traveled word by word of mouth all the way to where paul was their their love for one another it was public it was not private it was not secret they had a reputation for loving one another and it was so strong that it spread all the way to where paul was What I find interesting, though, is that the reputation is actually centered around their love for one another. Uh, We find a a similar thing in Galatians, uh, Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we strive to love everyone for sure, like that's a good thing, that's a biblical thing, but it seems that there is almost this preferential treatment for other believers. And that that's an okay thing. As you grow in your understanding of heaven and eternity, and and the hope that you have associated with that, it seems to affect how we live together gracefully. Do you understand that we will all live together for eternity in heaven in perfection? Do you understand the multi-generational, international mission that we are a part of? Do you understand that your behavior between now and next Sunday represents Christ, represents this church, represents your family, and represents you? Do you understand the cosmic battle that you and I are engaged in? Do you understand the rewards that await those who are faithful to Jesus? As you grow in your understanding of heavenly hope, you will love one another better. You'll be more patient and kind. You'll be less jealous, less boastful, arrogant and rude. You will not seek out your own advancement, but will strive to to help others. Not be so irritable. Not so prone to keep account of wrongs or return evil for evil. Be more inclined to bear all things, endure all things for the sake of our neighbor. And not speak about our neighbor's faults without first going to the neighbor ourselves. Growing in heavenly hope 
will help you grow in your love for one another. Today we're not covering how to grow in hope. That, that, that's a big topic. Hope to cover that next week. Um, uh, too big to cover today. Today just wanted to, to look at some of the scriptures about the fruit of hope. Almost as a measuring tool to say, do we truly have hope? Or are we just faking it? Some people attend church their whole life and yet live without hope. And it is very sad. But people who do live with a biblical hope, they, I find them some of the most wonderful, joyful, bold, loving people to be around. You can probably think of a few names. I can think of a few names. I mean, they're just delightful. And that is my prayer, that, that you and I be someone who lives with hope and that that is marked by joy, boldness before God, and love for the saints. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, thank you for this continued journey of understanding hope. Lord, the Christmas season is just saturated with this idea and this theme of hope, and it's wonderful. We love it. And Lord, it's, it's been a treat this year, though, to really explore more in depth. What, is, what does that mean? And how does that affect our daily lives? And how do we grow in that? And, and as we grow in hope, what, what are the, the external, mar- external markers that people will see in our lives? Lord, this morning I pray for every one of us here that we would grow in hope. Our understanding of, of hope of salvation, our understanding of, of hope involved in, the, in sanctification, our, our understanding of heavenly hope. And that as a result of that we would grow in our joy, we would grow in our boldness before you, And we will grow in our love for one another. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.